Well, how are you doing today? Good. That was okay. It's all right. If you're not doing good, well, you're in the right place, okay? And it, it's okay. You have permission to not be doing okay in church. You don't have to fake it till you make it. You can be real. So thanks for being here today. Appreciate it. Thank you all of... Oh, camera switched on me as I was looking at you. Hey, thanks everyone who's joining us online. Love you guys. And last service, I got to meet a couple of the online hosts. So that was cool getting to, to see them and know them in, uh, in person. So... We're going to start in Romans chapter 12, verse 13. And in this verse, Paul writes this, said, when God's people are in need, be ready to help them. Always be eager to practice hospitality. Let's pray. Jesus, we have so much to be thankful for. Regardless of whatever situation we find ourselves in today, uh, Help us be thankful. Help us be grateful because, man, what you did on the cross and in your resurrection has brought new hope to our life, to the entire world. So God, I pray that we would, our our hearts today would be encouraged, that they would be strengthened. And we thank you for being with us in this place and for being with the Oklahoma State Cowboys in March Madness. Amen. I didn't pray for him last service because I don't have a great, come on, I don't have a great track record of playing for, praying for sports teams, as many of you know. All of you Longhorns fans have really rubbed it in. Uh, I've forgiven you. It's okay. So we're going to talk about hospitality today, but before we get into that, I'm, I'm going to start on a lighter note, a little bit of humor, uh, because it, it'll be a little heavy later on. So I'm one of those people that anytime there is something to be carried in to the house from the car, the objective every single time is to do it in one trip, okay? Anyone else out there with me, all right? Whether it's groceries, luggage, children, it doesn't matter, okay? The goal is whatever it takes, we're doing this in one trip. And so sometimes when our, our kids fall asleep in the car, this also translates to carrying in sleeping children, and we have, we have four kids. And so about a month and a half ago, we, we get to the house and we have this, well, I'll say we, I have this strategy on, on how to carry everyone in because my, my wife is less interested in this goal than I am. <laughs> Happy birthday, by the way. Happy birthday. I'm not going to embarrass you or single you out or anything on your birthday. I'm not going to do that. So just happy birthday. Um, so about a month and a half ago, we show up at the house and our youngest, Gracie, she refuses to go to sleep in the car. So she, our strategy is we take her out. She can walk in. Um, with the, the middle two, we'll, Abby and I will carry them in. And then with the oldest, Asher, I just take him out of his seat and make sure he can at least stand. Okay? If he can stand, then he can walk inside and find his way somewhere. Uh, whether it's his bed or not, he'll, he'll end up somewhere in the house. So this particular night, we show up, and uh, my wife goes, and she's fine with making multiple trips. So she takes all of her bags that are with her, because when you have four kids, you can't just go anywhere without packing up and moving. So we have multiple bags, and 
So she goes, takes us inside, and this is important for the story, okay? So we have two doors. We have the wooden door, and then we have a glass door, okay? So when she goes inside, she opens the wooden door, but the glass door stays closed, okay? So I take Asher, our oldest, out, make sure he can stand, tell him to go inside, and he just runs full steam into the glass door. I know it's sad, but it's also funny. <laughs> he's okay. He's, he's here in person. But the good news is, is, is we have one of those doorbells that has the camera on it, which means we have footage of it. Before we show you this video, I want you to know a few things. One, I asked for permission. And he said, as long as you laugh, it's okay. Uh, and, and secondly, if you judge me for being a terrible parent for showing you this video, I, I don't care. Just, <laughs> it's, it's worth it. So go ahead and show this video. Again, it's somewhere between really sad and really funny. We obviously, we first made sure that he was okay. And then we laughed hysterically. And, and I love that he can laugh at this too. Like he can laugh at himself. It's a good thing to be able to laugh at yourself. But as I was thinking about this, you know, I was really happy that we found it on camera. But I was thinking about, I was thinking about how our doorbells have cameras on them now. And how it, it significantly changes the experience of your doorbell ringing, okay? Think back like 20, 30 years ago or to your childhood, what it was like when the doorbell rang, okay? When the doorbell rang, everyone in the house jumped up, ran to the door. You got the whole family welcoming you at the door and no one looked to see who it was, you didn't look through the box. You just opened the door. And it's like, oh, hey, it's you. Man, thanks so much for coming by. What are you doing? And the person's like, hey, I was just, I was around. I, I had to come into town. And you're like, well, come on in. We're just, we were expecting you. We've, we've got cookies already made because your mom always had cookies for the guests. And it's like, come on in. We're just preheating the oven. We're going to make you some cookies. Do you want some, some water, some sweet tea, some coffee? It's like before they even sit down, you already have like multiple drinks and food in their hands. It's like, come on in, we'll talk. They come in and you sit and you catch up for what you think is going to be just 15 minutes. And then it ends up being two hours. And then at some point it's like, okay, well, we got to go. Great to see you. Thanks for stopping by. Next time we're in your neck of the woods, we'll, we'll come by, say hi. But when your doorbell rings today, it's like, Everyone in the house, shh. <laughs> no one move, no one make a sound. Did anyone text y'all that they were coming over to our house? <laughs> it's like, there is a, everyone to the closet, don't make a move, don't make a sound, <laughs> grab, grab the gun. 
Totally different experience, unless, of course, you have one of those cameras on your, your doorbell. Totally different experience. So I think we could use a lot of practice when it comes to hospitality. And that's here in a few weeks, we have Easter services, and there are going to be a lot of people. You know, almost every week, someone's here for the very first time. We have plenty of opportunities to show hospitality. And in a few weeks, it's going to be Easter, and we're going to have several people joining us in the room and online for the very first time. And it's going to be an opportunity to show them hospitality. As a church, we want to be the most hospitable people in town. We, we don't want to come in second place to Chick-fil-A, okay? <laughs> they knock it out of the park, they set the bar high, but we, we want to be known as the most hospitable people in town. And we believe that, that there is a, a deeper hospitality than what you experience when you go to a really nice hotel or a really nice restaurant. And that is the form of Christian hospitality that Pastor Jacob spoke about this past Wednesday. In the Wednesdays leading up to Easter, we're spending time talking about hospitality. And he kicked off the the series this past weekend. If you didn't get a chance to hear it, I encourage you to go check it out. It was amazing. He had us laughing and crying uh, all at the same time. And one of the points that he made was this, that Christian hospitality is creating a space for people, for others, to encounter Jesus. It's more than just the, the handshakes and the, the eye contact and all of that's good and it's important and it's needed. But in this, it's, it's doing something. It's creating a space, it's, making, it's creating an environment in which people feel welcome. Because not every church has the reputation for being a hospitable place. Have you ever been somewhere where you knew you weren't welcome? Okay. I was just talking with someone this morning and they said that they had visited a church one time and they rode up on their Harley and someone met them at the door and said, hey, I really don't think you're going to fit in here. Uh, you might want to go look somewhere else. Okay. Sometimes... The church does a very poor job of being hospitable. May that not be the case here. I I don't think it is. If you've had an experience like that here, uh, forgive us, okay? We're not perfect. We're working on it. We're practicing hospitality. But then the same person said that whenever they showed up to uh, one of our campuses, it was in Brownwood, and he said whenever he showed up to the campus in Brownwood, the Victory Life Church there, that before he got out of the parking lot, like by the time he got off of his Harley, out of his vehicle, people were already meeting him. People were already saying, hey, thanks so much for being here today. What's your name? And getting to know him. So before he even walked in the doors, he was already greeted with hospitality and love. And that's, that's not just something here in our church. Others, others do the same. So it's not like tooting our own horn, but I'm just trying to paint this picture of the different space, the different environment that can be created whenever there is hospitality and whenever there's not, okay? So it's it's really important for us to continue to grow in this and practice it. One of the stories that Pastor Jacob shared on Wednesday in illustrating how hospitality creates the space is he shared the story of the prodigal son. 
Many of you are familiar with this story. Some of you are not. You can find it in Luke chapter 15, and I encourage you to go and read it. I'm just going to do a flyover of the story here real quick because it's going gonna, it's gonna, to uh, interact with our, our story today that we're going to look at. So in the prodigal son, it has to do with a family. And in this family, there are three main characters in this story. The first one is the younger brother. So the younger brother goes to the father and asks for his share of the inheritance early. So the father gives it to him. The son goes out and squanders it. Uh, he lives it up, indulges in all of these wild parties, goes out to Vegas, all of that stuff. Uh, not actual Vegas, whatever the equivalency of Vegas was at the time. So anyway, he goes and lives it up. But eventually, the money ran out. Because back then, you couldn't just keep printing money when money ran out. So, <laughs> sorry. Uh, so, so, the money, so the money ran out. And, and he finds himself in a situation where he went from the highest of highs to the deepest of lows. And he finds himself sitting in this muck and mire and mud with these pigs envying the pigs for how lavish their life is. And the, these pigs get fed like this and they have this kind of life and it hits them. Even the hired servants at my father's house lived better than I'm living now. So he comes up with this plan about how I'll go back and I'll tell my father, listen, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. If you would just take me in, even as a servant, then, then I, would, I would be happy to do so if you would just take me in. And so he decides to go back. He comes to his senses. When he, on his return, the father sees him coming from a long way off. How many of you know the, the only way you can see something from a long way off is if you're looking for it? So the father has been keeping an eye out with a heart full of expectation that one day his prodigal son would return home. And sure enough, he does. And so the, the father goes out and shows him hospitality. He welcomes his son in. And so in this beautiful story, the, the son goes into his spiel about how I'm no longer worthy to be called your son and the father just stops him. Says, listen, just stop it. Uh, someone go get a ring and a robe and some sandals and put them on this boy and we're gonna go kill the fat calf and we're gonna have a party. I just spit. Uh, that's, what kinda, that's how important this party is. But uh, we're gonna have a party because my, my son who once was lost is found. And the third person in the story is the older brother. The one who had been there this whole time while his irresponsible little brother was running off and doing all sorts of crazy stuff. Anyone like relate to that story? And now this brother, instead of celebrating the return of his younger brother, starts to get indignant that his father would celebrate him, that his father would receive him, that his father would show him hospitality. And now what happens is the younger brother who found himself in a place of uh, slave-like circumstances has now been received as a son. And the son who was present all along is now taking upon himself a slave-like mentality. And it says, the older brother says, I've been here all along and I've been slaving away for you, yet no party has been thrown for me. 
And the story doesn't really resolve. It's left hanging. And what we're going to look at today is the letter to Philemon, which is what the prodigal son looks like in real life. Okay, because the prodigal son was a parable. It was a story that Jesus told. But in the letter to Philemon, we're going to see how this plays out in real life. So that's where we're going to be. So if you have your Bible, you can turn to Philemon. If your Bible is digital, you're in luck because you're going to be able to find it. If it's not, and you don't have those cool tabs on the side of your Bible, uh, you can either go to the table of contents, which is fine, no shame there. Or you can try to find Hebrews in your New Testament and then just start working your way back. It's the letter right before Hebrews. It's really, really small, okay? Uh, It's actually Paul's shortest letter. And in this letter, it involves three main characters as well. So before we get to the reading of the letter, I wanna try to, to give you some of the backstory of what's happening in this moment and create, help create this picture to where you can, you can feel the weight of what's happening in this moment. So it involves, like the story of the prodigal son, it involves three main characters, the first of whom is Paul. So Paul is the author of this letter. He is currently in prison. Paul is one of the early church leaders and apostle who wrote several of the, the books in your New Testament. And he's a pretty important person. Uh, He's in, again, he's in jail. One of the interesting things about this letter that stands out from the others that he wrote is that Philemon is the only letter in which Paul doesn't explicitly state anything about the death or the resurrection of Jesus. The reason I think for this is because he's acting it out. He's not giving an explanation, but rather a demonstration of the new life in Christ and what this new humanity that God has formed looks like. So he writes this letter. The second key person in the story is Philemon. Philemon is the recipient of the letter. He came to the faith under Paul. Um, In verse 19 of this letter, Paul, in very Paul-like fashion, says, uh, I'm not even going to mention the fact that you owe me your very life. Uh, So from that we gather that, that Paul played a part of, Onism, or sorry, of Philemon's conversion to the Christian faith. So Philemon converts to Christianity and then becomes one of the church leaders in the Colossian church. So you know the, the book, the letter to the Colossians? So this is, the, this is part of the church that Philemon helps lead. Uh, back then, church was in homes. And so he, his home was one of the, the many churches in Colossae. So he is considered a fellow worker of Paul, which isn't a term that Paul uses flippantly. So he, he played a, a part, played a role. There's, there's one more important aspect of Philemon that you need to know for this story. Uh, Philemon is a slave owner, which brings in the third person in the story named Onesimus. Onesimus is a runaway slave. He was a slave of Philemon, and he is the subject of this letter. He's what the letter is about. So as a slave in first century Rome, uh, he was one of many in this social status. And in, in Rome, 
everything is about status. Who you are as a person and what you are allowed to do is all determined on where you fall on this social ladder, which was very clearly marked. Where you fall on this social status ladder is, is your worth. And slaves were at the very bottom of this ladder. It's estimated that somewhere between a quarter and a third of the population were slaves. People were enslaved in a variety of ways. For some, they were taken captive after a war. So they found their way into slavery through war captivity. For others, they incurred so much debt and they weren't able to pay it back, so they sold themselves into slavery. And the third and most common form was they were born into it. Because in slavery, whenever, uh, whenever a slave has a child, it's not the possession of the mother or the father, it's the possession of the master. So that was the most common form of slavery. It's estimated that some 250,000 people, human beings, every year were traded in the Roman Forum. So a quarter of a million people every single year would be traded in Rome's forum. And when they were traded, they would wear this sign around their neck that listed their qualities as well as any defects. So any defects were, were literally worn on a sign around their neck. This is the world that Onesimus grew up in. This is the world that he was familiar with. Since being born into it is one of the most common ways, or is the most common way, it's presumed that Onesimus was in slavery because he was born into it. Another thing with it is slaves weren't allowed to have legal status. Uh, so no matter how old he would grow to be, he would always be referred to as a boy. Because to be a man would give you legal status. It would entitle you to have a family. It would entitle you to have private ownership. It would entitle you to have a wife. To be considered a son. So he couldn't be called a man or a son because to be considered a son would give you the right to receive or give an inheritance, which he wasn't allowed to do. I know it's, I know it's bleak, I know it's heavy, but I think it's important before we enter into the story to know the conditions that were present for Onesimus and kind of his, his background, the, the world that he's been in. Because, I mean, he, he's never going to be able to have a family. He's never going to be able to give his children any sort of inheritance Neither was he able to be in a family with his parents caring for him. Any child that he has would become the possession of someone else. So Onesimus runs away. He flees. And from what we can tell in the letter, which we'll get to in a second, it appears that when he left, he took something from Philemon. Maybe that's why he ran, or maybe 
he stole something to try to fund his way out of this city, uh, which was a common thing when, whenever they would run away because it took resources to get out of the town. Regardless of why he ran, what we do know is that Onesimus ends up encountering Paul, the apostle, in prison. And Paul receives him with hospitality. Paul would lead Onesimus into faith in Christ. And Onesimus would become a member of God's family. And what, what we see is uh, Onesimus plays a part in Paul's ministry. You can see this in Colossians 4. And, and he helps Paul in the mission work of the church. He sends him back to Colossae. Paul sends Onesimus back to Colossae, which is where he's from, which is where his former master is, Philemon. So he sends him back, which was part of Roman law, but he sends him back, but he doesn't send him back empty-handed, nor does he send him back alone. Uh, from what we can tell in Colossians 4, uh, Onesimus was, was partnered with a, a guy by the name of Tychicus, okay? And here, I know this may all seem weird. It has a reason, okay? Uh, Tychicus was who Paul uh, commissioned to read and perform the letter to the Colossians. So it's presumed that he would be the one who would read and perform the letter to Philemon as well. Paul didn't just let anyone read his letters to the church uh, because in this culture, rhetoric is really, really important. The way that he would perform the letter was important. The person who would read and perform the letter would sit down with the author and they would discuss when to emphasize certain things when to whisper certain things, when to speed up or when to slow down and when to look certain people in the crowd in the eye. So he sends them back with Tychicus, but he also sends them back with a letter. And that's the letter to Philemon that we're going to read. So another important thing to know before we read this letter is this. It wasn't read in private. It wasn't in a private screening where They just came and delivered this writing to Philemon and he got to read it on his own and spend time processing it. Uh, It was delivered to Philemon and the church. Okay, so the setting here is that this letter is being read to Philemon in front of the entire church. Okay, important to know as as you paint this picture in your mind before we read this letter. So, all that being said, Let's check it out. So Philemon, starting in verse 1. This letter is from Paul, a prisoner for preaching the good news about Christ Jesus, and from our brother Timothy. I'm writing to Philemon, our beloved co-worker, and to our sister Aphia, and to our fellow soldier Archippus, and to the church that meets in your house. So remember, this is being read in a a communal setting, in a corporate setting. May God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace because you're about to need it. I always thank my God when I pray for you, Philemon, because I keep hearing about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people. 
Little did he know that all God's people was about to include his runaway slave. And I'm praying that you'll put into action the generosity that comes from your faith as you understand and experience all the good things we have in Christ. Your love has given me much joy and comfort, my brother, for your kindness has often refreshed the hearts of God's people. Have you ever been like really talked up by someone and you're just waiting for the big ask that's about to come your way? Like, what are they about to hit me up with? Like, I feel like you're just flattering me because you're about to ask me something. Like when your kids come and they ask you if a friend can stay the night, like in front of the friend, (laughs) that kind of thing, but much worse. Okay. And here it comes. That is why I'm boldly asking a favor of you. I could demand it in the name of Christ because it's the right thing for you to do. I love that. But because of our love, I could tell you what to do. But because of our love, I simply prefer to ask you. (laughs) Nice. Uh, Consider this as a request from me, Paul, an old man and now a prisoner for the sake of Christ Jesus. I appeal to you to show kindness to my child, Onesimus. I became his father in the faith while here in prison. You notice the familial language there. It's not by accident. Onesimus hasn't been much use to you in the past, but now he's very useful to both of us. I'm sending him back to you, and with him comes my own heart. I wanted to keep him here with me while I'm in these chains for preaching the good news And he would have helped me on your behalf. But I didn't want to do anything without your consent. I wanted you to help because you were willing, not because you were forced. It seems you lost Onesimus for a while so that you could have him back forever. And then here's the most dramatic part of the letter. Verse 16. He is no longer like a slave to you. He's much more than a slave, for he is a beloved brother. What is Paul saying? He's no longer a slave, but he is a brother. Every eye in the room is looking at Philemon. What are you about to do? Onesimus, he's put everything he has, he's staked everything on Philemon's response here. So Onesimus is is locked in, looking at his face. How are you going to respond to this? Because that, that is a radical claim. A radical claim. Because this, this statement no longer is, is charged. Uh, it hyperlinks to different places in scripture that I want, I want to look at. First one, from the story of the prodigal son. Remember the son saying, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. In this moment, this is being undone. This is being reversed. 
For the, the slave was no longer to be called your son is being reversed and now he's no longer a slave but a brother. Next one. Jesus speaking. John 15. No longer do I call you servants. Speaking to his disciples. No longer do I call you servants. For now, I've called you friends. Next one. This, this phrase no longer appears in all of these and it's, it's charged and it's linking to what Paul's saying in Philemon in Romans chapter six. It says that death no longer has dominion over him. No longer. Second Corinthians five, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. No longer are we going to look at each other and base value and worth of each other just on what we see on the outside, just on where they rank on the social ladder. We once did that even with Christ, but we do that no longer. And then the the last and most pointed one, Galatians 4, verse 7. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir. Because only sons can receive inheritances. You are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir. And Paul in Colossians, uh, in this, again, remember, like, his letter to Colossians would likely have been read in this church as well. And in that letter, he's talking about how your inheritance, you will receive an inheritance, but it's from the Lord. He will reward you. I know that all of those who are here in this place and in this, in this status of society, you don't think you're eligible. You don't think you'll ever receive an inheritance, but I'm here to tell you that it's coming that you're going to receive an inheritance and the inheritance you receive is from the Lord. That you are worth it and you will receive it as your reward. You're no longer a slave, but a son. All of that's charged in being brought into this moment and what Paul is saying. He's no longer like a slave to you for he is your brother. One of the interesting things about uh, siblings is that you can't divorce your sibling. That no matter what happens, no matter how far you end up from each other, siblinghood, siblingship is an unbreakable bond. And in this moment, he's reshaping the social structures in this church. And he's saying, you know, the, the people who are once on the fringes of the family, guess what? They're now being welcomed to the table. They have a seat at the family table. And as you can imagine, Philemon is... On this, in this day and time where we're at, that may, not, that, that may seem somewhat crazy, but I'm telling you, 
in this moment, Philemon's mind is blown. He's trying to process what in the world does that even look like? And he's trying to process this in front of everybody. So what do I do? And Paul answers that in the next verse. He said, so if you consider me a partner, which that word partner comes from the root word koinonia. If you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. That the way you respond to Onesimus returning, I'm going to consider it how you would treat me. Paul puts himself in his place, much like Jesus would, has, did, does. Welcome him as you would welcome me. Paul is one of the most important people in Christian history. He's authored multiple letters, multiple books in your Bible. His name is being remembered in multiple nations over the span of time. He is a VIP. And he's telling Philemon to treat this once slave now in the same way that you would treat the VIP. That's challenging. I mean, that, that's convicting to me. I, I have to ask myself the question of, do I do the same thing? Every person who walks through those doors, every person who walks into my home, those who I encounter, do I create a space for them to encounter Jesus? Am I hospitable to them? I can, I can tell you stats and information about athletes or celebrities who I will never meet and I can't even remember or know the name of the person in the next seat. It was convicting to me. You know, it only takes one time of asking someone if it's their first time at church and they answer, no, I've been here 10 years, uh, for you to never do that again. (laughs) So what do we do? We welcome people. We, we create an environment, a culture of hospitality. You may say, well, listen, I'm kind of new here. Well, new or not, tag, you're on the hospitality team, okay? We all are. He, when Paul in, in Romans 12 says, you know, pra- eagerly seek to practice hospitality, it wasn't, hey, eagerly seek to practice hospitality when you're scheduled for the hospitality team every other week. No, no, no. It's for all of us. You may say, well, listen, I'm an introvert. I, I don't want all attention on me. I don't want to be the life of the party. I'm not asking you to be the life of the party. I'm just asking you, even if it's just one person, just meet one person. And I know that may be challenging, but just, just step out, meet one person. Because we could have all of the cool, flashy Hey, welcome here. We love you. Honk if you're excited about Jesus. Signs in the world, okay? But if when they walk in, that culture isn't present, it's for nothing. Just take the time, even if it's uncomfortable. Because see, the inconvenient thing about hospitality is that you can't do it by yourself. Ah, it's a real bummer. But yet, we're called to do it. 
again in a few weeks. Every week, we ha- almost every week we have someone here for the first time. But in a few weeks, we're going to have a lot of people here for the first time. And it's not on someone who gets a paycheck from the church. It's not on somebody who has signed up to serve on the hospitality team. It's not their sole responsibility to create a hospitable environment. It's all of ours. You don't have to do something over the top crazy. Just simply get to know somebody. Make eye contact. You, you know what it feels like to be in a place that's welcoming. And you know what it feels like to be in a place that's not. Think about that and do the positive stuff. You know, don't, don't ignore people. Make eye contact. Smile. Prefer one another. Welcome one another. This, yeah, I, earlier in the first service, this word was tested in a beautiful way. At about this point in the message, three younger guys walked down the center aisle uh, not like looking for a seat, like they were on a mission kind of thing. Walk down the center aisle, sit on the front row. Uh, one of them had his hood on so you couldn't really see his face. You could kind of feel the tension in the room. Uh, like, are they about to say something or, about, or are they about to do something? You could just kind of feel it. And in this moment, are, from the time that they walked in, they were greeted with hospitality from the time they, they sat down. No one jumped up and accosted them. Okay? So, finish the sermon. Pastor Terry gets up to close and he offers uh, a call of salvation. All three of them respond to it. One of them, yeah. One of them, one of them kneeling down at the altar or, sorry, (laughs) kneeling down at the front. We don't really have an altar, but if we did, it'd be right here. Kneeling down at the front. And I see members of our church go and kneel down beside them. And in this moment, it was like, this was an opportunity to practice what we preach. Literally in the moment. And I, I was a little hesitant to share because it's so fresh, it just happened. But man, That's what church is. You know, in our first song, we sang, this is what living looks like. This is what freedom feels like. That's what people should experience and continue to experience here. And it's not on somebody else. It's on all of us. We are the church, not the person who has the microphone. All of us. It's a beautiful thing what happened earlier today. Beautiful. Because they had no clue what I was talking about. They just, they literally just walked in, like right at the end. You can be excited now because I just tipped my cards and said I'm almost at the end. Um, (laughs) But it was beautiful. Beautiful. Paul, when when he writes, welcome him as you would welcome me, introduces hospitality type language into this letter. But hospitality, the definition of it, is, is friendliness or welcoming to the guest or the visitor. But, but Onesimus the slave is no stranger 
or guest to Philemon. I mean, he's been around him his entire life. But what Paul is saying, what he's challenging with, what he's giving him the opportunity to do is right here, right now in this moment in front of the entire church is will he welcome, will he be hospitable to Onesimus, the brother? Because he was familiar with Onesimus, the slave, but would he be hospitable to Onesimus, the brother? Because the man who was baptized by Paul is no longer the man who was once owned by Philemon. He's changed. He's a new creation. And so what's Philemon going to do? Well, we don't know. Much like the story of the prodigal son, the story leaves us hanging. It doesn't resolve it. So it makes us ask questions and assess ourselves. Where are we at in this story? I will say this, though. There, there was an early church leader by the name of Ignatius. And Ignatius wrote a letter to the Ephesian church, and he greeted the bishop of the church. And the name of the bishop of the church that he greeted, he said, I want to greet the bishop of your church, Onesimus. We don't know for sure whether or not it's the same Onesimus. I would like to think so, but we don't know for sure. So it leaves it unresolved. So now we have to ask the question of, who are we in this story? Are we like Onesimus, the slave, who we're, we're fed up with the tyranny of sin and we're on the search for freedom. Are you like Onesimus, the brother, that you know you have some sort of unresolved conflict with a fellow believer or family and you're seeking that reconciliation? Are you like Paul, who's seeing this conflict between two people and your willingness to step in humbly humbly step into the situation and seek to promote peace, forgiveness, mercy, reconciliation? Or are you like Philemon who finds himself with the decision of am I going to, in this moment, am I going to seek reconciliation, am I going to receive reconciliation and be like the father in the story of the prodigal son? Or am I going to be like the older brother? See, the story of the prodigal son is inspiring and it's beautiful because in it we see how God changes our status. And he takes us from the mess that we were in in our lowest point and he redeems us. And he changes our status from slave to son or daughter. And the story of the letter to Philemon, what we see is our role in continuing God's work of changing the status of others from that of slave to son or daughter. If you would bow your head with me, I'm going to pray and then hand it over to Pastor Terry to close.
Jesus, I pray that you would give us grace. Grace to welcome people in the same way that you did. Grace to be hospitable, to seek reconciliation, to receive reconciliation. Grace to find freedom. Whatever just one step that we can take today in the right direction. God, I pray that you would empower us, that you would give us the grace to take that step. In Jesus' name, amen.